Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. I want to begin reading here in a moment, verse 7. There is a sickness in our society that has infiltrated and infected the church. It's the modern obsession with superstars. And whether there be Hollywood actors or some overpaid egotistical athlete, they seem to fill our newspapers and dominate our headlines and they become tragically, in most cases, role models for children. The church is not immune to this. It's not uncommon to see mega church pastors or those who have um, health and wealth advocates or those who've written books and gotten famous and they're elevated to the point that it seems like they are closer to God than the Sunday school teacher on Sunday morning teaching their class faithfully or the pastor of a small church in rural West Texas or just people like you and me. And the truth is, all of us are sinners saved by grace. I think Paul would have been disgusted with it. And the reason I say that is when you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, you see his disdain for those who claim to be what I'll call super apostles. They elevate themselves instead of Jesus. We don't ever want to elevate anyone except Jesus here because he is the, the um, head of the church. Well, the kind of people that impressed Paul, just normal everyday people, just like us. And it's not uncommon for find him commending people at the end of his letter. And the chances are you probably have looked at this and probably just skipped over it because oh, it's just a bunch of names and there's really nothing for me in this. But I want you to look at it with me and I'm going to show you that there's some beautiful pictures here. Verse 7 says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea 
and Nymphus and the church that is in her or his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Let's pray. Lord, our prayer is today that from your word, people would see themselves as part of your kingdom, as part of the faithful brethren who serve you. Help us to see ourselves in this picture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul often sent personal greetings from the people that were with him to the church in whom he wrote. And the names of various believers who helped and encouraged him also give us an insight into the relationships that he had. And and we also see a little bit into the ministry of his life. You probably have experienced receiving a group photo. Maybe you're in that photo. Maybe it's people that are friends of yours and you can go through that photo and say, you know, they're so-and-so, I remember them and I know who that is. And they say, well, I wonder who this person is. I don't recognize them. Well, Paul did not have a camera or a smartphone, but he does give us a group photo with words. And in this photo, you're going to see people that resemble you. I hope you see yourself in this group photo today. He gives us some thumbnail sketches. There's a new term that has been developed in the last years. Thumbnails, those little bitty pictures. Here's some thumbnails of some people that are in this group picture. And what I want you to see is as we look closer to them, they are examples to you and me, and I hope that you see yourself. We We begin with a picture of service, Tychicus. It's amazing how exact God's word is because the example here or the description of Tychicus, Paul uses, he said, he's a faithful minister. The word is diakonos. We get our word deacon. It means to serve. He's a faithful servant. And then he also used the word sundulos, which means a fellow slave. Not Paul's slave, but a fellow slave in the Lord. A fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus always appears in the New Testament as the word servant. He's one of those who helped carry the offering to the saints in Jerusalem. You find it in Acts 29, Acts 20 verse 9. He's trusted companion. He carried the letter to the Ephesians. And you find that in Ephesians 6.21. Now he's going to carry the letter to the Colossians. He is Paul's FedEx guy. There was no postal service then. And so he's the deliverer. He's bringing the news and carrying the news. You find him just serving the Lord. And Paul then identifies him as a beloved brother, which shows the love that he has. Being a fellow servant in the Lord. You know, Paul could have said, well, you know, I am one of the apostles out of due time. I am one of the apostles now, and you're just Tychicus. But he said, he said, no. We're fellow servants in the Lord. And we need to understand that you may have different responsibilities in the Lord, but that does not elevate you 
over anyone else in the service of God. Fulfill your responsibilities. You find Tychicus serving the Lord. He reminds us that of any task, regardless of how small it is, if it's done in the Lord's name, God uses it. And so maybe you can't stand up and speak in front of people. Maybe you're not a singer. Maybe you're not a writer. Maybe you just have the gift of mercy. Maybe you can stand at the door and greet people or you hand out bulletins or you deliver food to the homebound or you call people and pray with them. I don't know all of the details, but I just know that Tychicus is an example of service because every time you find him, you find the word diakonos or you find the word servant, a picture of service. There's also a picture of forgiveness. Now, verse 9, I wonder if the church at Colossae was surprised when Paul included the name Onesimus. Onesimus was from Colossae. He was a slave of one of the prominent church members, Philemon. And Onesimus had stolen from Philemon and fled and went to Rome and somehow got arrested. And of all the good things that happened to him, he got put in prison with Paul. And Paul led him to Jesus. So you have a runaway thief who now Paul describes of, as in verse 9, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Folks, when God forgives someone, so should we. When Christ forgives, we should do the same. All of us have a shameful past. All of us wish we could go back and do something over. I wish I could erase that part of my life. But we can't. But all we can know is that by the grace and the forgiveness of God, he gives us a new start. And here's a picture of forgiveness. We all should practice, remember this phrase, we should practice the forgetfulness of God's forgiveness. Instead of reminding everybody of their past, we need to remember what God's done in their life. He's now the companion of Tychicus reporting to the condition of Paul carrying the letter to the church. He's now called a beloved brother. In fact, when Paul writes Philemon, he tells Philemon, please forgive him, accept him back as a brother in Christ, and, and if he can't repay you, I will repay for you. But I just imagine when, when uh, whoever was reading the letter to the Colossian church probably said, an Onesimus greets you, a faithful and brother? Unforgiveness is when we desire to hurt somebody who's wounded us. It reminds me of a little boy who was sitting on a park bench and he was in obvious agony. A man said, son, what's the matter with you? He said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the man said, well, why don't you get up? And he said, well, the way I figure it, I'm hurting him way more than he's hurting me. <laughs> well, that's the way unforgiveness is. We try to hurt other people instead of forgiving them. And God has forgiven you and me. God's only going to heal our wounds when we stop inflicting pain on the one who's hurt us. A third picture is a picture of faithfulness. Aristarchus. You probably don't think much of him. He, he's one of the Jewish friends that Paul had. 
And here, Aristarchus is identified as my fellow prisoner. In all likelihood, he volunteered to be a prisoner. He probably became a prisoner on his own accord. And the reason was he wanted to be there for Paul. He was from Thessalonica, and he's the man who always seemed to be there when Paul needed it most. In Ephesus, when Paul was preaching and a riot started, listen to what the scripture says in Acts 19, 28. When the mob heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Later, when Paul boarded a ship to Rome, he was a slave. And in Acts 27, it says, we boarded a ship from Adramidium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Now, if you know your Bible, you know what happened on that voyage. The weather started getting rough, the tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of fearless Paul, the sailors would have been lost. <laughs> and for you younger folks who don't know, have a clue what that, you ask your parents what that's about. <laughs> the ship wrecked on the Isle of Malta and none of the crew perished and there was a waterlogged Aristarchus that crawled up there on the beach by Paul. Every time Paul's there, whatever he's going through, Aristarchus is there with him. Everybody needs a friend like that. Amen. Do you have a friend like that? Could there be any action more selfless or more sacrificial? Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's a huge difference in a companion and a brother. A picture of faithfulness. There's also a picture of second chances. In verse 10, John Mark, or Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, this is the very John Mark who deserted Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. In fact, in Acts chapter 12, you find Mark going with them. And then in Acts chapter 13, you find Mark leaving them. We don't know why Mark left, but whatever it was, chapped Paul. <laughs> and sometimes Christian brothers get chapped at each other, don't they? Because the next missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to bring Mark. Paul said, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. And the friction got so, so strong that they parted ways. Barnabas said, then you go, and I'm going a different direction. Years later, this is the same Mark. And now Paul tells the church at Colossae to receive him when he comes to them. It's the same Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark spent a lot of time with Paul. It's interesting, by the way, and I'll get to him in just a minute, but you have Mark and Luke listed here, two of the gospel writers. 
But Mark is the guy that, that Paul said, no, you're not going with us, but you find him now getting another chance. You see, failure, failure doesn't have to be final. All of us have failed. All of us have messed up. All of us have. If there's anybody in here who's never failed, just stand up and let us salute you right now. <laughs> There's not anybody here. You don't find Paul mentioning his past. Maybe we shouldn't do that either. You know, sometimes we look at people and all we can think about is their past. Listen, if God forgives them, so should we. We've all done things that we wish we hadn't done. On New Year's Day, 1929, Georgia Tech, University of California, were playing in the Rose Bowl. In that game, a man by the name of Roy Regals recovered a fumble for the University of California, scooped it up, and took off running. The only problem was he got confused and he ran the wrong direction. One of his teammates, Benny Lom, overtook him 65 yards down the, down the field and tackled him before he ran into the end zone of Georgia Tech. California didn't get a first down. They had to punt. Now you remember they're on the wrong end of the field. Georgia Tech blocked the punt. It went into the end zone. They got a safety, two points, and that wound up being how Georgia Tech won by two points. That was the margin of win anyway. Now everyone was wondering, what is the coach? And the coach's name was uh, Nibs Price. What's he gonna say to Roy Regals? Or what's he gonna do with him in the second half? Now if you've ever played football, you know that when you go in at halftime, the coach usually has something to say. But this particular time, the coach was very quiet. The, the team was sitting on the benches and on the floor, all except Regals. Roy Regals put his blanket around his shoulder, sat down in a corner, put his hands in his face, and cried like a baby. Well, no doubt he was trying, the coach was trying to decide what to do with Regals. The timekeeper came in and announced that there were three minutes before half was over and playing time began. Coach Price looked at the team and he said, men, the same team that played the first half will start the second half. The players got up and started out all but Regals. He didn't move, didn't budge. The coach looked back and called to him. Still, he didn't move. Coach Price went over to where Regals sat and he said, Roy, didn't you hear me? The same team that played the first half will start the second. Roy Regals looked up and his cheeks were wet with strong man's tears and he said, coach, I can't do it to save my life. I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. I couldn't face that crowd in the stadium to save my life. The coach Price reached down, put his hand on Regal's shoulder, and he said, Roy, get up and go on back. The game is only half over. And Roy Regals went back, and the Georgia Tech team will tell you they'd never met or seen a guy play football like Roy Regals played that second half. Sometimes we pick up the ball and we run in the wrong direction. Sometimes we embarrass ourselves, and God comes to us and he bends over to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he says, get up and go on back. Game's only half over. 
That's the gospel of grace. Not only of the second chance, but the third chance and the fourth chance, the hundredth chance. You see, God doesn't write you off. God just wants you to turn your heart toward him and serve him with the time that you've got left. Don't look at the past. Look at the future. God, I'll nail down this stake today. What can I be for you? But you see a picture of a man who Paul didn't even want to have anything to do with, and now he's commending him. That's a second chance, isn't it? That's forgiveness. That's grace. There's a picture of dependability and comfort. Now, you see this man in verse 11 named Jesus who was called Justice. Yeshua, Jesus, was a common name during this time. It really was. Now, we, we know there's no other name like it, but it was very common. And the word justice means righteous. We don't know much about him. In fact, very little. The only thing I really know for sure is that he was a Jew. And I know his name because of what the scripture says. But it's also interesting that Paul mentions there were three Jewish men with him. One of them was justice. These Jewish men followed Jesus. And this one was a comfort and was dependable to Paul to help carry the gospel to the Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They thought they were lowlifes. They were dogs. They were like dirt. And yet you find this man who's staying with Paul. Paul still had a heart for Israel, but he is now got a heart and a mission to the Gentiles and justice, Jesus' justice is there. He's a comfort to Paul. That word comfort is only used here in the New Testament. And it means to relieve or to console or to comfort. And Paul had been called as a missionary to the Gentiles and a lot of his own people had denied him and ridiculed him. And you find justice standing by him. He's dependable. He's comforting Paul. He's staying with him. Don't know much about him, but we do know that Paul said he's a comfort and, he, and he's helping me with my mission. There's also a picture of prayer and devotion. Now, you've probably heard of Epaphras. We've already mentioned Epaphras in our study of Colossians. Epaphras was from Colossae. Probably was saved when Paul had his, his um, stint in Ephesus for about three years. And it's probable that Epaphras became a Christian, then went back to his hometown, Colossae, and helped found it and planted a church. He may have been the one that helped plant it in Laodicea and Hierapolis because all three of those towns were close together. And so Epaphras was devoted to this church. He helped plant the thing. And as a result of that, the people were coming to know, to know the Lord, and apparently Epaphras went back, to, went to Rome to see Paul to talk to him about the false teaching that was going on in Colossae. And hence Paul writes this letter and sends it to them about dealing with false teaching and who Jesus is. Epaphras was a hero of the Colossians church. He's one of the believers that helped keep it together when all the false teaching was going on. But did you notice he's also a prayer warrior? In fact, Paul says he wrestles in prayer, wrestled in prayer for you, for the Colossian church. 
The word wrestle there is the word agonia, agonize. It means to physically strive. There's conflict. And just as Paul was struggling for the church in his ministry, Epaphras was struggling in intercessory prayer. Indicates the, the way the grammar is, it indicates it was not just one time he prayed, it was an ongoing thing. And folks, we've talked about this. Prayer is war. It's war, it's agony, it's warfare. And there's no glamour really attached to being a prayer warrior. In fact, most of them are unknown. Most of them are quiet. Most of them aren't in the forefront. But they silently pray. Or they, when I say silently, they're not being seen. They pray for what God needs to do in the church. They pray for the lost. They're, they pray for the nation. They pray intercessory prayers. And here's a picture. Epaphras wrestled in prayer for the church at Colossae. I thank God for people in our church who are prayer warriors. And there are a lot of you, and I don't even know who they all are. But I know they're praying. And don't take for granted when people are praying. Listen, that's the most important thing somebody can do for you is to pray for you, to intercede for you. Well, here's a picture of that. Your prayers do matter. They count. They pray with passion. Pray. It's not only worship, but it's, it's war. It's warfare. There's a picture of companionship and ministry. Luke Luke was a Gentile, we believe, and one of the reasons is right here because Paul said, I have three of the brothers for the circumcision, Jewish brothers with me. Then he mentions Luke. Now, Luke was probably a Gentile. He could possibly have been a Jewish man that spoke Greek. It doesn't matter. We do know that Luke penned the gospel of Luke that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as the dark clouds began to gather around Paul's life, Luke is still by his side ministering to him. Luke probably helped him with a lot of his physical ailments. Luke probably ministered to him all the times that Paul had been beaten and left for dead. And you've got a doctor there that's with him. And even in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, we know that that's the last letter that Paul wrote probably before he was executed. Luke is still there with him. You don't ever find Luke preaching. It's never recorded that he preached. But you find him ministering to Paul, probably by helping him physically, probably by encouraging him He helped Paul's ministry. I'm so thankful for people who encourage people in ministry. Their companions, they stand by their side. And here is a picture of that. There's also a picture of sadness. You'll notice in verse 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Nothing said about Demas, just his name. Not one syllable of commendation, just his greeting. The last letter that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 9, listen to what Paul said. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. 
Now, maybe Paul already saw something here. I'll never, we don't know. But he didn't say anything but except Demas. I know that he's still around when he writes to Philemon. But for some reason, Demas takes his eyes off of the ministry of God, puts it on the world, and he leaves. Did Paul already suspect that? I don't know. Was he already drifting away from following Christ? But folks, if anything else, this ought to be a warning to all of us. None of us in here are beyond the capacity to walk away. I'm not going to say you lose your salvation. I believe if you really are saved, that God won't let you walk too far. But the fact is, you may say, well, it'll never happen to me. I'll always be there. I'll always do. Let me tell you something. I know people right now have walked away. It's sad. I'm not better than them. It just breaks my heart to see that people who once were faithful, who once followed God, who aren't even here today because they walked away, pursuing the world, pursuing sin, whatever. I'm not their judge. I'm really not. But do you see here that here's a man. Now listen, if there was ever a guy that was hanging around some heavy hitters, it was Demas hanging with Paul and Luke and Mark. You would think, man, he'll be on the right track. The next thing you know, he's deserted. It's a warning for us. Don't ever think, well, I finally arrived. I am so mature and I'm so stable as a Christian. It'll never happen to me. Famous last words. You need to stay fresh with the Lord every day. You do. I have pastor friends who have not finished well. Have personal friends who are not finishing well. It's a sad picture. Forsake families, forsake friends, forsake church, forsake God. On the other hand, there's a picture of hospitality. Now, here's an interesting term. Uh, verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now, I'm reading out a new King James Version. The King James Version will have Nymphus. The manuscripts that these Bibles were translated from basically um, have, him, have him as a man. There are some other manuscripts, some earlier manuscripts have found that have a feminine pronoun in there when it talks about in her house. So we don't know for sure if Nymphus was a man or a woman, but that's not the point. The point is the church in Laodicea or the church somewhere was meeting in their house. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever had Sunday school party at your house? And I don't see any of you smiling. <laughs> They're a hassle. Because you have to clean your house and make it look like you don't live there. <laughs> really. I mean, nobody, when I go into somebody's house, I say, they don't live like this. Where's the, where's the real clutter? But you know that, that 
It's, it's a job. I mean, I'm not complaining about it. It's a job. You clean your house. You get everything ready. And I, I happen to be married to a person who has the gift of hospitality, and it's expensive. <laughs> it is. Because they think of everything this person might could possibly need and things that they could possibly not need, but they're there anywhere. I'm not complaining but here is a picture of hospitality. Opening your home to the work of God. It's 200 years before a church building was built. So people met at homes. But can you imagine having somebody in your home every week? And I'm sure that the conditions there were a lot more primitive than what we have. They didn't have electricity and vacuum cleaners and all that stuff. But you find a picture of hospitality. We have so many hospitable people. We all have different gifts. <laughs> Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of just being able to, to minister to people, the gift of service. Some of you have the gift of service. You could be the FedEx people for Southcrest. We all have different gifts, and when God brings us together, it's to use our abilities and our talents and our gifts that God's given us for his kingdom. And you may never get noticed. Care group leaders, I think, are meeting this evening. They don't get noticed, and yet they routinely check on people in their class to make sure they're okay, to see how they're doing. Nobody ever gets thanked for that. But that's a gift. And that is something that is vital to this church. And so I want you to see that, that you may think, well, I don't really have any of these well-known um, gifts that are seen, pub public gifts. Maybe you just have the gift of hospitality. But there's a beautiful picture here. We're not sure exactly if this is the church that's in Laodicea. But Paul says, be sure and greet Nymphus, the church that meets in their home. And finally, there's a picture of admonition and encouragement. Archippus in verse 17. It's very possible, very possible that Archippus is the son of Philemon. We don't know for certain, but it's very probable that he could have been, and he may be the one set up to lead the Colossian church now. We know he's a young man because now you have this old apostle who's in prison telling this church to two things. Admonish, which admonish, we always think of it in a negative term. It's not when you're getting on somebody to admonish them. Here, the picture is that remind him of his ministry from God, that it came from God, and then encourage him to fulfill it. Folks, I want to remind you of something. Ministry is hard work and it's frustrating and the reason it's frustrating is because you can't always see the results of it. If you're a painter or a builder or construction, you work after eight hours or a week, you see the results of what you've done. You can work a week in ministry and you think, did anything get accomplished this week? Don't forget your ministries from God. 
There have been times in my life where ministry has been very difficult. I, I can remember, this isn't a difficult thing, but I, I remember when I was a freshman in college, as a ministerial student, I knew I was going to be in the ministry. Pineville, Louisiana, I joined a little church, and I would get up on Sunday morning to go to church, and I'd see a bunch of these ministerial students that didn't even go to church. I thought, what, what's the problem here? You're, you're supposed to serve the Lord, and you can't even go worship? I remember my first job in ministry. Preschool choir director. <laughs> freshman in college. I had three in my choir. It was a preschool trio. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't have to do that long before the Lord told me to do something else. Uh, I, I just want you to know, whatever ministry God puts you in, realize it's from him and fulfill it. When I was in school, I never looked at my church as a stepping stone to hurry up and get out of school so I could get a real job. I looked at that church as God's put me here to serve. I'm going to serve while I'm getting an education. Wherever God's put you, if it's a Sunday school class, if it's a ministry to the shut-ins, if it's, if, if it's greeting, if it's whatever, if God has given it to you, remember, this is the job the Lord wants me to do right now. It's from him. I'm going to do it until he tells me to quit. And then encourage, be encouraged because you may not get a pat on the back and you may not get an encouragement, but I can tell you this, that God keeps records. God knows your faithfulness. Paul ends by saying, I, I wrote this with my hand and he said, remember my chains. Remember I'm in prison, pray for me. You know, I, I got to thinking about all the names in this, this listed here. These men's names are in the Bible. The Bible is eternal. The Bible, the word of God will never pass away. You imagine having your name there for eternity. But I want to tell you a place you need your name. It's more important than right here. And that is in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way you can get your name in the Lamb's book of life is for Jesus to put it there. And you have to turn from your sin in repentance and, and come to God and ask him to forgive you. And you ask Christ to come into your life because he died for you. He rose again. He's seated at the right hand of God. He makes intercession for us. He saves us. He washes us clean. And he puts our name in the Lamb's book of life. It's put in there in blood. Nothing can ever take it away. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to get your name in that pictorial directory <laughs> in the Lamb's book of life. You don't have to be a member here to do that. If you're watching online, you can hit that connect button and there'll be people there to help you know how to receive Christ. If you're watching on television, we'll be glad to help you. If you're in this room, listen, today's the day that if you've never given your life to Christ, today's the day. And a lot of us in here have. And I don't know about you, but I find myself relating to several people in there. I especially like the one about forgiveness. I especially like the one about another chance. But I want to be one of those that's faithful. 
And maybe God today is encouraging you to say, don't quit. Don't give up on what you're doing. You keep serving the Lord. Even though the results may not be what you want them right now, you trust that God's in control and that they belong to him and that he will give the increase. Some of you need to give your life to Christ. Some of you need a church home. Listen, we always need new people. Because the more people that come, the more gifts we need to be used. It just takes a lot of people to take care of this flock. And I'm so thankful for people that are helping take care of this flock. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And if you don't know Jesus right now, you can say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know right now that I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he rose again. I believe he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And right now, Jesus, I commit my life to you and ask you to come into my life and save me. God, wash me clean. Forgive me of my sin. And I want to serve you. I want to serve you now. Father, I pray for those that may have received Christ, that you would give them the courage to let us know, to respond in some way. I pray for the believers in this room, my brothers and sisters in Christ, sinners saved by grace just like you, like, like, just like all of us, that you've saved us by grace. God, we all have a past that we wish we could undo. But thank you for forgetting it. Thank you for forgiving us and forgetting it. So Lord, draw us closer to you and I pray you'll encourage people in their ministries that you would remind them that they serve you. We were told earlier in Colossians, let everything we do be done heartily as unto the Lord. So I pray that you'll encourage them. I pray that you will bring some people forward that can help in certain ways, then thank you for the companions and the encouragers and the faithfuls and the hospitality people and the FedEx people, all those who are willing to do whatever needs to be done. I pray for those that need to be saved. I pray for those that need to be baptized and for those that need a church. And if you're sending them here, Lord, please bring them. This is your place. They belong to you. And Lord, thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for making us a team. Thank you for giving us a family to be part of. You, you've called us brothers and sisters so many times. Thank you for the family that we have. If you're watching online, if you'll simply connect with us, there'll be somebody there to help you with your commitment. If you're in this room, if you would just simply let us know. You can do that two way, two or three ways. You can take that communication card and you can indicate on it that commitment that you're making today and you can drop it in the box as you leave and we will call you. That'll be our first response. Or there'll be some pastors here at the front to, to talk with you and to pray with you about anything that's on your heart. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it doesn't return void. Thank you that even in these examples we've looked at today, 
that we can see ourselves. Draw us closer, Lord, and I pray that people would follow you, be committed to you, that we could share you with other people. Thank you, and we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.